For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks also to whoever made the sew ornaments. Those are awesome. Check them out in the back if you didn't see them yet. Welcome to Grace Church. Good morning and Merry Christmas. In the way of a reminder, during Advent, we've been working our way through the passage that Stephen just read from John's Gospel. We've been doing it just a few verses at a time. Two weeks ago, you may remember, we looked at John 3.16, for the love of God is shown through Christmas. Last Sunday was verses 17 and 18, there is no condemnation through Christmas. And finally, this morning we'll look at 19 to 21, the light of the world has come through Christmas. The whole passage, the one up on the screen, is John's explanation of Jesus' teaching in the first portion of chapter 3. And the gist of his message through the first three verses, which is what we've covered so far, is that God loved the world and his love took a particular form. That's key. I'm going to come back to that later in this sermon. But God loved the world and his love took a particular form. That is, God loved the world in such a way that he sent his only son, Jesus, into the world to put an end to the condemnation that was already upon the world. And that love-driven salvation is available to everyone who would trust in Jesus. That's good news. That's Christmas. Well, the remaining problem, as you know, is that although God sent his love... Or, in love, God sent his son into the world because the world stood condemned in order to save the world from their condemnation. The problem, as you know, is that not everyone has believed in Jesus. And there's another problem within that problem. Among those who don't believe is a group of people who wrongly believe that they do believe. We've called them unbelieving believers. They think their hope is in Jesus, but it isn't. John talked about a group of unbelieving believers, as well as one in particular whose name was Nicodemus. And so the question then is, for which we find the answer in 19 to 21, is how do we know if our belief is genuine or fake? If the means to have our condemnation overcome by Jesus is to believe in Jesus, how do we know if we truly believe in Jesus or not? And again, that's at the heart of this passage? How do we discern between unbelief and belief, between condemnation and salvation within us and within the people we know and love? So in 19 to 21, John explains more fully the marks of each. He does so in relation to Jesus and the fact that he is the light of the world. 
And in particular, he explains that those who remain condemned have two specific marks. We're all born in Adam into condemnation. How do we know if we've escaped it? Well, if you haven't yet, you'll bear two particular marks, which we'll we'll look at. They love darkness and hate light. Well, on the other hand, those who truly believe in Jesus and are saved are marked by doing what is true, coming to the light, and giving glory to God for everything good. And so with that, we see that God gave Christmas to save the world from condemnation. But that that is only good news for those who acknowledge the condemnation that we deserve for our sin and believe in the Son whom he has sent. So for everyone else, Christmas remains a declaration of death. So let's pray that God would cause us to turn to the light in faith and hope and in love. God, thank you for this passage. Thank you for texts like this that help us to see ourselves as you see us and not just as we see ourselves. We know from your word and from experience that often we are mistaken about the true nature of our hearts. We're confused and deceived easily in our finitude and the sin that remains in us and entirely deceived when we don't have new life in Christ. And so we thank you for passages like this that provide clarity, that help us to diagnose our true condition before you. God, please make us a people this morning who love your word in all of its forms, even even when it says hard things, and even when it says things that are difficult to hear, and because we know you offer it all for our good and your glory. So let us lean into this text this morning, I pray. Help us to see what marks we bear and help us to respond to those marks as you have given us in Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So let me say this again. Christmas is a reminder that our default condition as human beings is one of condemnation. That's, that's a, oof, that, if you hear that, if you really hear that, that's hard to hear. It's a reminder Christmas and all the cute baby Jesus stuff and decorations and light and festive songs is a reminder that our default condition as humans is one of condemnation. Due to the sin of our first father, Adam, we are born into sin. And because we are born into sin, we sin. This means that we are not basically good people. In other words, as we saw last week, Christmas is always about our condemnation before it can ever be about our salvation and celebration. And in that way, we have some work to do before we can know whether Christmas is the best news we've ever heard or the worst. So in a culture like ours, being able to tell the difference might not be as easy as it seems for all kinds of reasons, not the least of which is the promulgation, I think that's the right word, of a watered-down gospel the attempt by many to redefine Jesus into our own image, there are many people who mistakenly understand themselves to be right with God. That is, there are many people in and out of the church who wrongly believe that they're not condemned, either because they deny they ever were, or because they mistakenly think they've somehow already escaped it. For that reason, these few verses in John chapter 3 are really, really helpful. 
They provide for us, again, another diagnostic tool. They, they provide for us another window into our hearts to see what's really in there in the form of a few key marks of condemnation and salvation. These will serve us well. These are not just, like Kyle said in the exhortation, it's not just, or John said in Berea, I mean, it's not just for those people out there. This is always first for us. It's a clear diagnostic tool for us, and they'll serve us well when we press these things first against our own hearts. And then against, as, especially as members of Grace Church, we've covenanted together to press them against each other's hearts also. And then our kids and our neighbors for their good, ultimately, and for their salvation, for the glory of God. And as we work through these lists then, these five marks, two of condemnation and three of salvation, ask the Holy Spirit to help you recognize whichever ones are in you. So may may all of this, I think I need to say this. This wasn't there until this morning. I think I need to say this now. May all of that, and especially what's to come in the marks of condemnation, serve as a reminder that the job of a teacher of the Word of God or a preacher of the Word of God is not simply to offer comfort and hope. Okay? This is a big deal. The job of a faithful preacher or teacher of God's Word is not simply to offer comfort and hope, but also to state plainly the means by which we receive them. You, you hear and see this, these you know, signs, joy to the world. Well, maybe not. It's not joy to the world if your hope is not in Jesus. And so our job is not just to say joy to the world. It's to say how you can get joy in the world. Is that, I hope that makes sense. I'm going to say it a few more ways in, in case it doesn't. One huge problem in many pockets of the church, and I'm sure even in Grace Church at times, is the tendency to talk about the grace of God apart from the God-given means of receiving it. It is rightly proclaimed that there is hope in God, comfort for the hurting, and salvation for the lost. It's right to proclaim that. But such proclamations ought to always be accompanied by the truth that they are only available to those who would receive them with penitent hearts and trust in the only Son of God. Do you want to know only that there's a cure for your terminal sickness? Or do you want to know about how to go, or do you want to also know how to go about getting that cure? Do you just want to know that there is a cure for what you're suffering from? Or do you want to know how to get it as well? That's the essence of what I'm trying to get at here. Those who are given only the promises without the means of receiving them are often worse off than those who have neither, the promises or the means. For they have been given false assurance of the right standing before God and therefore no longer feel a need to seek it. And so at a time when many people simply want to be given comforting words, that's sort of what Christmas has become in our culture. We just want some general happy platitudes and niceties. We want the Christmas cheer and the holiday spirit without the means by which God has given them to come to us. They want comforting words, to be told that everything is going to be okay for them, to be given God's stamp of approval on their lives. And for those who merely want those things, the words of John three nineteen and 20 can seem often unchristmas like They're at the heart of Christmas. But for those who are just chasing the holiday spirit, these can seem like the opposite. So may we fight together, Grace. One of the reasons we're here together, and you're not all just separately reading this later in the week, 
One of the reasons we have membership and make the promises we do in membership is that we would fight together against such hollow and deadly thinking and lean fully into God's word for genuine grace and help. Hear the word of God clearly, therefore, Grace Church. The love of God has been given to you in the person of Jesus who came to take away your sins, and it is for you and for everyone who would receive it in humble repentance. But how do we know if we've received it in humble repentance or not? John gives us two main marks. Let's consider them now. The first mark that you remain under the condemnation that you were born into in Adam is also the cause of your condemnation. John wrote, he said that Jesus didn't come to judge the world guilty because the world had already been judged guilty. And one aspect of the reason for this guilty judgment is that we love the darkness. We're born loving darkness. Look at verse 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and, or but people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. In several ways, John's gospel, I've already tried to point out several of them, but in several ways, John's gospel is a spiritual parallel to the physical creation recorded in the beginning of Genesis. We find another example of that in this passage. Genesis records the creation of physical light, the stars and the sun. While John speaks here of Jesus as the spiritual light coming into the world. Grace, it is a remarkable thing, and things like Christmas are chocked full of them, to learn to recognize the ways that God has made physical things and earthly practices to give us categories for their spiritual fulfillment. Physical light exists every time you see it. Kids, you're really good at this. Every time you see a star in the sky or the sun or even these things, uh, or whatever they are, lights, Every time you see these, you're meant to think of something. Help your parents with this. As parents, we're not that great at this. Kids, you are. Every time you see a light, remind your parents of this. The physical light and and all of its forms are ultimately to help us understand Jesus' goodness and his holiness. That's what John's getting at here. Kids, when you see a light, remember that that physical light, that thing in this world exists to show us and help us understand Jesus' goodness and holiness. Christmas is the celebration of those things, Jesus' goodness and holiness becoming incarnate and visible. That's awesome. And so one practical result of this awesome reality of Jesus, the light of the world coming into the world, is that everyone who encounters Jesus responds in one of two ways. There's different forms of each of those two ways, but it's always ultimately one of two ways. Either they will love the light of Christ and be drawn to it, which is a mark of their salvation, which we'll come back to in a bit, or they will love the darkness that they were in and remain in it as a mark of their condemnation. What does it mean exactly to love the darkness as John speaks of it here? He makes an important distinction. In one sense, biblically, darkness is synonymous with sin. It would just mean to love your sin. It would mean to love evil. But John makes a distinction here between darkness in this context and evil or evil deeds. Evil deeds are the sinful acts that we commit. But grace, kids, as you know, or as you probably know, darkness here is more of a location, one in which we mistakenly believe 
is hidden or secret. Darkness, again, the way John uses it here is the idea that we want to be able to do our evil deeds apart from the sight of others. But grace, and again, kids, as you know, you might be able to sin outside of the view of people, outside of the view of your parents, or outside of the view of your siblings, but we can never sin outside of God's view. And in that way, this kind of darkness is merely an illusion. It's fake cover. But it is an illusion that is loved for, loved and longed for by those who do not truly believe in Jesus. People who remain condemned in their sin prefer evil, and they prefer it to do it away from the watching eye of the world who would condemn them for it. Anyone or anything that would condemn them for it. That is what John meant by people loved the darkness because their deeds were evil. Those under condemnation find twisted pleasure in sin and a longing to do so without scrutiny. Again, those who remain condemned in sin aren't drawn to the light of Jesus. They're repulsed by it. They stay away from it. They don't hate their sin. They love their sin and hate anything that would expose it. Do you want to know if Christmas is a message of good or bad news for you? A message of salvation or condemnation? John has provided marks for both for us. And the first mark that Christmas is bad news. It's bad news for you. Or bad news for someone is that they are characterized by loving the darkness rather than the light. That leads to the second mark. Those who remain condemned don't merely prefer the darkness and generally avoid the light. They love the darkness and hate the light. For everyone, verse 20, who does, who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deed should be exposed. As we just saw and as we all know, people choose to sin in the dark. In verse 20, John gives the primary reason for this. True light exposes the sinfulness of sin. No one wants to be seen doing evil things, so they take cover, fake cover, as it turns out, in darkness. You can't do that in the light. You you can't hide your sin and the sinfulness of your sin in the light. Imagine being engaged. This is kind of a a gross thought process, but I'm going to invite you into it anyway. Imagine being engaged in your most egregious sin. Think now of the most egregious sin that you commit, whether in thought, word, or deed. It is the thing you're most ashamed of, but you still do it, believing you're able to do it in secret, where no one else can see, as John says, in the dark. And then suddenly, in the midst of you participating in the sin, the one you least hope anyone will see, a light comes on, and you realize the whole time you've been live-streamed for the whole world to see. In that moment, you would most certainly hate the light. You would do just about anything to shut it off immediately. That's what John is talking about. Those who remain condemned before God do only wicked things, for whatever does not proceed from faith as sin. And everyone who does wicked things hates the light and tries to avoid it and seeks to flee from it whenever it comes upon them to avoid revealing the true nature of their hearts to themselves, ultimately, before God, but also to others. Ultimately, those who hate the light hate Jesus, who is the light of the world for all mankind. 
It is not merely that sinners hate having their sins exposed, although it is that. It is also that they hate being in the presence of the one who is perfectly holy, good and pure and right. This, of course, is a terribly serious thing. I want, I want us to consider one more thing that is consistent with what John said, but also is a little bit different of an iteration of it. In our current culture, there's a diabolical twist. And this isn't ultimately new to our culture, but it's becoming increasingly prevalent in it. There's a diabolical twist that's being put on all this. When you love wickedness, try to, try to follow me here. I, I worked and reworked this a bunch this week. I think you can follow. When you love wickedness, sin, and evil, you have to live in darkness, as John wrote. When you love wickedness and sin and evil, you have to live in darkness, as John wrote. Or, and this is the sick twist that our culture is putting on this, or you need to attempt to redefine wickedness, sin, and evil as virtue, righteousness, and goodness so that you can do those things in the light of day. When ungodly people seek to repackage abortion as choice or rebrand disordered sexual desires and practices as love and redefine basic elements of human biology as nothing more than personal feelings, they are attempting to do just that. And when mass delusion sets in to the point that pushing back on those redefinitions, that rebranding and that repackaging is portrayed as mean and intolerant and arrogant, then all of a sudden those things can be done in the light of day and without shame. Light in their minds becomes darkness, and darkness in their minds becomes light. Romans one thirty two says, For although they knew God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Grace, let us... Settle carefully and securely on the simple fact that no one but God has the power to name, to define. Darkness is what God has called darkness, and evil is what God has called evil, no matter what other people may call them. Likewise, light is what God has called light. God is light. (laughs) And good is what God has called good. God is good, no matter what other name people may give those things. And so the second mark of remaining in your condemnation is hating the light, the true light, and the exposure it brings to our wicked deeds. When you hate your sin being found out more than you hate your sin, you bear this mark, and Christmas is really bad news for you. All of this ought to sound pretty ominous and discouraging. doesn't sound very Christmassy, does it? The thought of being condemned by God must not rest comfortably on us. It ought to terrify us to find these marks in us. It's terrifying. And wherever that's the case, celebrating Christmas is the most ridiculous thing you can do. You get that? Where that's the case, where these are the marks that you find in you, celebrating Christmas is the most ridiculous thing you can do. It's like throwing a party for your coming execution, or terminal cancer diagnosis. It is simply a mark of your condemnation. Why would you celebrate that? It makes no sense. But it need not be that way, Grace. That's the good news that comes with this as well. It need not be that way. 
John is not writing these things to declare them as immutable marks of death. Because you bear these things, which we all did at one point, does not mean you must always bear them. He was writing to name them so that if you find them in you, and I pray this morning that some of you who have never realized these mark you would realize it today because that's a gift from God. John was writing these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He was naming these marks of condemnation so that if you find them, you might turn to God and find forgiveness and freedom from them. If you will, John has clearly and repeatedly written, if you will receive the love of God and believe in the name of Jesus, his only son, your condemnation will immediately turn to salvation and celebration. The saving work of God in the person of Jesus is for everyone who believes, John says, immediately when they believe and forever when they believe. You might remember that the entire purpose of John's gospel, the whole reason he wrote all that he wrote, is to help the world believe that Jesus is the Christ and in him have life. That's, that's what these marks are for. That's why he reveals them, not, not to cement your condemnation or to tell you too bad for you, but to plead with you and call you to respond to it in repentance and belief. So we've just seen the marks of those who do not believe in Jesus and remain condemned before God and for whom Christmas is really bad news. But what does it look like to truly believe in Jesus? and to be able to celebrate Christmas, and to know the joy of the world, joy to the world, and to sing that, and it be true. Three things. As I mentioned in the beginning, there are three marks of genuine belief in Jesus, and they're all found in verse 21. Let me read that again. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out by God, or in God. The three marks are doing what is true, coming to the light, and giving glory to God. Real briefly, we'll consider each. Doing what is true as portrayed by John here is the opposite of doing evil. That's what the but means at the beginning of this verse. The first mark of salvation is that instead of doing and delighting in evil, you find your appetites changing. Instead of doing and delighting in evil, there is an increasing delight in and doing of that which is good and beautiful and true. Remember how John said that works for us? That's, he's explaining all that. This is what Jesus taught. When we experience the new birth of the Spirit and therefore place our hope in Jesus, we are acknowledging him, Jesus, as the ultimate standard of good, goodness and beauty and truth. That's the beginning of your salvation. You receive the new birth from the Spirit through that place our hope in Jesus because we see plainly that he is the ultimate standard of goodness and beauty and truth. And the same spirit who opened our eyes to reveal the glory of God and Jesus also helps us to see how far short of that we fall. And in, in so doing, though, we don't melt in despair, but in so doing, we look up And believe and trust that God has lovingly offered us saving grace in Jesus. Our eyes turn to him and he forgives us and changes us such that we begin to truly hate what is evil and stop doing it and truly begin to love what is good and start doing that. Remember, this is a mark, not a cause. We're not made right with God because we do what is true. 
We do what is true as a mark that our belief is in Jesus is genuine and that we've already been made right with God. Is Christmas good news or bad news for you? It is good news if you find yourself growing and doing that which is true, because you find yourself growing in your love for that which is true, because you find yourself growing in your conviction that God alone is that which is true, because the grace of God has come upon you in Jesus Christ. All right, here's the second one. And when all of that happens, grace, the second mark is that you'll be eager to come to the light, to come more and more to Jesus, rather than hating the light for its exposure of our sin, we love the light. Get this. We love it because it is what we were made for, but we also love it even for the very reason we used to hate it, that it reveals our sin. When we don't believe in Jesus, we want our sins to be hidden so that we can keep doing them. But when we believe, truly believe in Jesus, we want our sins to be revealed so that we can turn from them to that which is infinitely better. That's, that's a big deal, Grace. You want your sins to be revealed. That's what the light does in Christ, so that you can turn from them. You know that they just lead to death and discouragement and frustration and difficulty. And so the light that comes on to you in Jesus is good news. But, but whoever does, verse 21, what is true comes to the light. Again, coming to the light isn't merely being consistent and non-hypocritical. It is not merely acting in public the same way we act in private. Coming to the light is ultimately coming to Jesus, loving him above all, wanting what he wants for us, loving what he loves, hating what he hates, doing what he does, delighting in his person, in his work, in his commands, and grace, and his love. Is Christmas good news for you or bad news for you? It's good news if you long to have your heart exposed by God in the knowledge that it's already been washed clean in Jesus. And you're growing in your belief that Jesus is the greatest treasure and to love Jesus above all things. Here's the last one. The final mark is a further clarification still. But whoever does what is true comes to the light and it gives the reason for that so that it may be clearly seen that your deeds, the person who does that, that their deeds have been carried out in God. Apart from believing in Jesus, we want all credit and glory for anything we do that might be praised by mankind. We brag about our sports accomplishments as if we made the bodies that we performed them in and created the skill that allowed us to do this. We, we brag about our grades as if our minds are our own creation and they've been shaped by us, or our salary as if the gifts we use to do our job well came from us ultimately, or our intelligence. The Christmas program, kids, becomes about you and your pretty dress, or your costume, or come see me rather than come see Jesus. Our evangelism becomes about our courage and how much better of a Christian we are than somebody else. Our quiet times show our piousness. We talk about how many times we read the Bible in order to impress people. Our offerings show our generosity. Look how much I gave. 
But when we truly believe in Jesus, we want God to get the credit and glory for every good thing. For as we've seen in John, we know that every good thing comes from God. He is the giver of all good things, and anything that is good in us comes from him. And if we brag, we brag in the cross. We brag that we are unworthy of this, but that God set his love upon us anyway. Do you want to know if your belief in Jesus is genuine and that Christmas is good news? Look carefully for the mark of recognizing God as the only true source of goodness and the desire for the whole world to acknowledge that and give him the glory that is due to him alone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. What are we to do with all of this, this Christmas? Let me quickly close by stating three things. First, learn to understand and receive the love of God. Learn to understand and receive the love of God. Let God define the nature and fruit of his love. Don't try to do it on your own. Certainly don't let the world around you do it for you. Let God define the nature of His fruit, nature and fruit of his love. Focus on what it is. Focus on what what John says the love of God is, and ask for the Spirit's help to be strengthened by it, the actual love of God and the way it shows up in our lives, and encouraged by it and comforted by it. So what are you gonna what, what might you do with all of this for Christmas? Number one, learn to understand and truly receive the love of God. Number two, consider carefully the marks of condemnation and salvation. Again, ask for the Spirit's help to do this. You can't do this on your own. You need the Spirit's help to discern which you truly bear. Where it is the marks of condemnation, Grace. When you search your heart and you see this, that it's, that it's condemnation, thank God for revealing that to you so that now you're able to turn to Jesus and turn to Jesus. Repent of your sins. Come to the light. That's what Christmas offers you. It's a declaration that you're condemned, but it's an offer to come out of that through believing in Jesus. And where you find the marks of salvation, thank God. Thank God for this. So that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. That God God did this. God did this work in you. Thank God for saving you and give him all the glory. You too, repent of your sins and come to the light. Praise him for loving you and sending his son to you while you are still his enemy. Acknowledge that it is his grace that caused you to see and his grace that will keep you believing and his grace that will transform you into his likeness. Third and last, tell someone about Jesus. Not theoretically, not conceptually, don't just agree it would be good, but tell somebody about this Jesus. Really tell them. Begin by listening to them, praying for them, asking them questions. How do you process all of this? Pray for them. Then be clear about what God offers, how to receive it, and what's at stake if they don't or do. 
find creative ways to do this when it doesn't obviously present itself to you. With God's help, focus more on bringing them the words of life than how comfortable it will be for you. Whether it feels like it or not, to you or to them, this is the most loving thing you can do and certainly one of the most obvious ways to honor God during Christmas. It's amazing to me how how many things we can do at Christmas that don't involve telling people about what Christmas is. I love these sew ornaments. You and I might not be able to do every single thing that Christmas suggests. None of us can. But what we can do is hang an ornament on our tree that says so. So that when you invite your unbelieving neighbor over and they see the normal decorations and then they see this big thing that says so on it, what in the world is that all about? What, what does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Or maybe they see your giant pile of Ebenezer rocks under the tree. And they say, I've seen presents. I've seen tinsel. I've never seen a pile of rocks. What is that all about? I'm glad you asked. Our church gives them out free. You should come. You might not be able to do everything, Grace, but find a way. Find a way to really not just hint at this or imply this or be mildly salty or a dim light, but tell somebody the good news in all of its fullness about how they can be rescued from their condemnation to everlasting joy in fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. So let's be a people who are filled with thankful hearts, who walk in the light, who are marked by love, who continually help one another follow Jesus wherever he leads and whatever it costs at Christmas and always.